But I'd like you to open your Bibles tonight, if you would please, to the book of Revelation, chapter 14. And we're looking once again at verses 12 and 13 in this text and the message that I've entitled, The Beatitude of Death. This is the third message on this subject. And for some of you, that might, you might think that's a little bit of overkill, no pun intended. But death is uh, really not a subject that most people like to talk much about. Uh, if you can put death far into the back of your mind as far as you can and never even speak about death, that's really okay for most people. But as we know, all die. Uh, life is short. There is coming a day of our death. And... Uh, Though life is so short, comparatively speaking, we do want to try to make the most of our lives and enjoy ourselves while we're here. And for that reason, there are many people that go through life totally unprepared for death. Even though they know for most of their lives that death is coming, yet uh, when it does finally come, it's almost like it sneaks up on them. And they're just unaware that death is imminent for them. And so they've made no preparations because all their life, this is what they've done. They've kept pushing death all the way to the back of their minds and they've never thought about it. And so when the time comes for them to leave this life, they're really totally unprepared for it. Well, becoming a Christian is really about being prepared for death. Only death is not a, a, a finality for those of us who are the people of God. Uh, we don't talk about death and get prepared for death merely to be accepting of it, not just so we can go just happily to the grave, but we prepare for death because we have to pass through death in order for us to keep on living. A death is a very minor pausing place in the uh, life of a Christian. It's a door that we have to go through in order to reach another phase in our lives for Christ. And that's why the Scripture says that death is a blessing. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are they that mourn. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are they that hunger and thirst after righteousness. And just as surely we could say, along with those Beatitudes that are found in Matthew chapter 5, we could add to that, blessed are the dead which die in the Lord. Well, let's read this again. Revelation 14. If you'd stand with me, please. Just these uh, two verses once again this evening. Verses 12 and 13 in this 14th chapter. Here is the patience of the saints. Here are they that keep the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus. And I heard a voice from heaven saying unto me, Write, Blessed are the dead which die in the Lord from henceforth. Yea, saith the Spirit, that they may rest from their labors, and their works do follow them. Heavenly Father, we ask that you would bless in the message tonight. Speak to our hearts and open up this text before us, Lord, so that we can learn something from your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. It seems a little bit oxymoronic to put these words, blessing and death, into the same sentence because they really don't seem to go together. Uh, The thing that we most dread in life is death. But nevertheless, the Scripture does say that for us, death is a blessing. In the first two messages that we discussed this subject, we concentrated mainly on those, that particular point, why death is such a blessing to Christians. And I began by explaining why death is so dreaded. And the reason that we dread death so much is because of the sting of death. Death stings because death is the defeat of life. Death is an enemy, and as hard as we can fight against death, we're going to try to do that. We're going to stave off death as long as we can, but death is inevitable. And the Bible teaches that it is inevitable because of this thing that's called sin. 
Now, the Scriptures uh, say that the sting of death is sin, and since all of us are sinners, that means that all of us are bound to die. But since we are bound to die, and we know that this is a fact, it hasn't stopped men from searching for a cure for death. Uh, whether it's a fountain of life or a fountain of youth that people are looking for, or whether it's the cryogenics that we mentioned in one of the messages, uh, that quest just keeps going on for people to try to invo- avoid the inevitable day that's coming. Now, the interesting thing, though, about becoming a Christian is that God said, or never said, that he was going to cure death. He never said that physically you're not going to die. Uh, The only case where people don't die is when the Lord actually comes back and then living believers are translated. But God has never said that he's going to change this for a Christian. He's never said that because you become a believer in Christ that he's going to change all this around and you won't have to die. But what God did do for us is that he removed the stinger of death. He took sin out of death. Death is dreaded for unbelievers because for them there is no good outcome. The sting of death is a curse to them because after death comes eternal punishment, which God in fact terms the second death. Death for an unbeliever does not render him in an unconscious state. It doesn't mean that he is annihilated, that he no longer exists. But instead, death is a gift that keeps on giving for those who are unbelievers. It's dreaded because for those people, death never stops. And the worst things that an unbeliever could think about death are incalculably intensified as he closes his eyes in death and then death becomes an eternal reality. But what God has done for us who are believers, he has given us the security of deliverance. He promises that by faith in Christ that death is sweet. Death is nothing more than a momentarily falling to sleep and then waking up in the eternal blessings of heaven. So for us, death is only a pause. There is no sorrow in death because the very moment that a believer closes his eyes in death, the Bible says that he wakes up in the presence of God. To be absent from this body is to be present with the Lord. Now, those are great thoughts for us to think about. Uh, We don't really have to shove death onto the back burner. We don't have to be afraid of it. We can deal with death right up front, and we can be prepared for death. And although you might not want to go right now, you may not want to die right now, but if God should call you at this very moment, if you are a believer in Christ, you're not going to go out of this world kicking and screaming and afraid of death. Now, I believe that what God does is he gives a Christian a calmness about death. Now, you may not realize that now. Uh, You may think about death, and of course, there is some dread to it. Your natural instincts are that you will avoid death. But in the very moment that you as a child of God have to face death, you can square up to it, and you can have peace about it because you know Christ as your Savior. About 20 years ago, Uh, I was involved in a head-on car collision. And uh, I don't really want to go into all the details of that right now. But I do remember in that split second when I knew that a crash could not be avoided. I knew that it was coming. In that very moment when I thought that the likelihood of surviving that crash was almost non-existent. In that very moment, I didn't have any fear. I didn't have any time for anything but a quick prayer. Uh, There was no time for the setup. I didn't even have time to go into the 66 words of the Lord's Prayer. I just said one short little prayer just before I hit that other car. I said, Lord, here I come. And that was it. That's all that I had time to say. But I remember when that accident happened that I wasn't freaked out about it. I mean, uh, when I hit the windshield, I I remember that. Uh, I didn't feel anything. 
And honestly, uh, when I came to in that very brief moment uh, after I, the, the accident had happened, when I finally came to, I wondered, am, am I dead or am I li- I'm alive? And I really didn't know. Now, I didn't know who got me out of the car, but I do remember looking at that first person, and I thought, man, what an ugly angel. So I figured I must still be alive. So thank the Lord for this, though. Death is not something that we have to fear, and that's because God has removed the stinger of death, and he's given this present sure hope of eternal life in Christ. Now, I want to move on from that, and we're going to look a little bit further into this passage. And I'm going to take the focus, per se, off of death for the rest of this message. And we want to move on to some doctrinal considerations that are found in this passage. I think it's always good for us to look for the doctrine that's found in the Word of God. Now, we've talked about the sting of death and the security of deliverance. But I want to talk to you thirdly tonight in this message about the strength of the doctrine. Now, the context of these verses has to be brought back into focus as we consider the great doctrines that are found in these scriptures. Now, we have extended the statement in verse number 13 to include all that die in the Lord, and there is an application for every believer. But the context here is really the time of tribulation. And those that die in the Lord here are those that have had their lives taken by the Antichrist. They would not surrender to him. They would not bow down to him. And so their lives were taken from them. These are people that remained faithful. In verse number 12, it says that they kept God's commandments. And that's the hallmark always of true Christianity. Now, we can talk about faith in itself. We can talk about God's grace, and we can speak about the love of God. That's all. All of those are great themes. But somehow, in, this, in, this, in modern Christianity, as we have it today, when we talk about all these other things, it seems that it gets lost. The keeping of God's commandments seems to get buried somewhere. It's lost in the shuffle. We don't realize that the Word of God says that we are still to keep God's commandments. Now, faith in Christ is for what? It's to be justified from the penalty of breaking God's commandments. And the grace of God is for what? Well, first it provides the means by which our debt to God can be satisfied, but the grace of God also enables us to do what we couldn't do before, and that is to keep God's commandments. And then the love of God is for what? It's to restore us from the enmity that we had against God because of our disobedience, and it brings us back into God's favor. Now, all of this finds its center in God's commandments. Redemption is necessary for us because Adam broke God's commandment. God said, you should not eat of that tree, the knowledge of of good and evil. But Adam broke that commandment. And then all the rest of the Bible is about how God would restore man from that disobedience and then bring him back into perfect compliance with God again. So what redemption does is to restore for us the innocence that was in the garden. And then when we speak about the millennial reign of Christ, the millennial kingdom of Christ that comes upon this earth, we always talk about that in terms of a righteous kingdom. And what is righteousness about? Well, that's about keeping God's commandments. It's about obedience to God's commandments. Now, I don't want you to go away tonight saying that, Well, Pastor Smith is teaching salvation by obedience to commandments because salvation is never achieved that way. But salvation does come because of obedience. And the obedience that it comes by is the obedience of Jesus Christ. 
And then by our faith in him, God transfers that obedience of Christ, the righteousness of Christ to us. And so we're justified from our sin. So never misunderstand this, apparently, as some do, that the law has no value for Christians. And that's often taught in many different circles, that we're living under grace. We don't live under the law anymore. Well, that's falsehood. God still expects us to live by his commandments. Righteousness is still demanded, and the commandments are to be kept. In fact, Jesus said in John 14, 15, If ye love me, keep my commandments. In John 15, verse 10, he said, If ye keep my commandments, ye shall abide in my love, even as I have kept my Father's commandments, and abide in his love. And so this great distinguishing mark always of Christians and particularly of these people here, is that they would not receive the mark of the beast, but they continued in the Father's commandments. Now, I'd like for us to look at some doctrine in the passage. Now, all of this is doctrine, of course, the, the blessing of death and everything that we've said about death so far. That, that is actually doctrine. But there is more doctrine that we find here. Now, I want you to notice the, the first part of verse number 12. It says, here is the patience of the saints. Now, this is marvelous because what we find here is the doctrine of perseverance. Patience equals perseverance. The King James translators use the word patience, and that's perfectly fine in this context when you understand that patience had a much broader meaning than we use it today. When we say patience, we we think about waiting for something. And most often we think in terms of impatience, that we want something. And when we desire something, we want to have it right now. Sometimes we will say patiently endure. And really that's redundancy because patience also means to endure. And in fact, that's what it means in this passage. So we could very well substitute the word endurance here and we could read it this way. Here is the endurance of the saints. Well, now that means their perseverance. And it stands for that great doctrine that no believer in Christ will ever perish. Those who trust in Christ will always endure to the end. They will persevere under the threat of death, under the worst of conditions, and the wor- under the worst that the devil could throw at them. That will never move them away from the hope that they have in Christ. Now, there's so much scripture on this throughout the Word of God that it's almost inconceivable that anybody could ever teach that a person could actually lose their salvation. This is what's being taught in this passage. In the tribulation time, these people endure. And you can be sure of this, that if they endure under such duress, that you as a Christian can also endure. You persevere also in the grace of God. And the blessing of it is that they don't do it in their own strength. Their own strength would quickly fail under this horrible duress that exists during that time. But they endure because Christ endures. The scripture says that he ever lives to make intercession for us. And so as long as Christ lives, we live. And we will overcome, as the word of God says, through the blood of the Lamb. That is the guarantee of our perseverance. Now, I want to take you back for just a moment to uh, the book of Philippians. And those of you that come on Wednesday nights, you'll remember that uh, we looked at Philippians. We went through the whole book, and particularly at chapter 1, verse number 6. And you may remember that I said Philippians 1, verse 6 is the real theme of the entire book. Every part of the book keeps coming back to this statement where Paul says, being confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it under the day of Jesus Christ. 
There Paul is talking about confidence. And he says that the work of salvation, this work that's been accomplished in you by faith in the blood of Christ, the the good work that God has wrought in you because of regeneration through saving faith, that's going to continue until the entire consummation of the ages. Now, you may remember that we looked at this from two different sides of the question. You will continue, you will endure, you will persevere on two solid bases. Now, one of those is what we call eternal security. That's the preservation that we have in Christ. That's best described by Jesus' statement in John 10, verses 28 and 29. He said, And I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish. Neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. My Father, which gave them me, is greater than all, and no man is able to pluck them out of my Father's hand. Now there, Jesus is speaking about the power of God, the power that protects and secures us so that we're in God's fortress. We're in a place where an enemy can never penetrate. Paul also describes this in Romans chapter 8. And there's a great passage there that I'm not going to take time to read, but you may remember how that Paul enumerates all of the possibilities. And he says, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? And then he goes into a different list of things. And he says, not tribulation, not distress, not angels, not powers, not principles, not anything in this world or in the world to come can ever separate us from Christ. You see the picture that the Word of God gives us that we're held in Christ's hands and then God closes his hands over the hands of Christ so that we're doubly secured. We can never be pried away from the security of our protection. Now that is one great aspect of it, the preservation that we have. But there's also another aspect of this. And unfortunately, there are many Baptists today who deny that this other part is even true. But it's stated right here in Revelation 14, 12. And that's the endurance. It's called the perseverance of the saints, the perseverance of God's people. Now, you may remember when we were studying through Philippians, I took issue with a statement that was made by a Baptist brother. And he said that the Bible does not teach saints persevering in order to keep salvation. Now, that was a statement that he made after uh, building a straw man to attack. He said that Calvinists do not believe that salvation is ever assured. And he said it's, uh, we, we can never be sure of our salvation. You know, it's easy to beat somebody when you're arguing over something that somebody doesn't even believe. I've never met a Calvinist in all of my life who, who believed that salvation could be lost. Not one has ever believed that. In fact, I believe it more strongly than those who oppose our doctrine because I have it knocked out from underneath it, God's unconditional election of his people. That's one of the strongest props that we have that holds up the doctrine of our security in Christ, this preservation that we have. Now, if we want to know, does the Bible actually teach that people must persevere in the faith in order to have salvation? Who are you going to ask about that? Well, I think the very best person that you could ask would be the Lord Jesus Christ himself. Here's what he said in Matthew 10, 22. And ye shall be hated of all men for my name's sake, but he that endureth to the end shall be saved. In Matthew 24, 13, he said, but he that shall endure to the end, the same shall be saved. Now, do you know what the word endure means when Jesus said that? Let me quote to you from Michelson, Michelson's rather Hebrew and Greek dictionary. The word endure means to bear trials, to have fortitude, to persevere. 
In Romans 2 verse 7, Paul said that God will reward those with eternal life who by patient continuance and well-doing seek for glory and honor and immortality. The Apostle John wrote in 1 John 2.19, They went out from us, but they were not of all of us. For if they had been of us, they would no doubt have continued with us. But they went out that it might be made manifest that they were not all of us. Now, I don't know how anyone could possibly say with a straight face that the Bible does not teach perseverance. The, the, the saints are required to persevere. And if they don't persevere, it's evidence that they never had salvation. Let me quote to you from William MacDonald in his commentary on Matthew 10:22. He said, taken by itself, this could seem to imply that salvation can be earned by steadfast endurance. We know it cannot mean this because throughout the scripture, salvation is presented as a free gift of God's grace through faith. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. Neither can this verse mean that those who remain faithful to Christ will be saved from physical death. The previous verse predicts the death of some faithful disciples. The simplest explanation is that endurance is the hallmark of the genuinely saved. Those who endure to the end in times of persecution show by their perseverance that they are true believers. The same statement is found in Matthew 24, 13, where it refers to a faithful remnant of the Jews during the tribulation who refused to compromise their loyalty to the Lord Jesus. Their endurance manifests them as genuine disciples. Now, folks, there is the very same doctrine that we're speaking of here in Romans 14, 12. Yes, indeed, perseverance is a Bible doctrine, and yes, you are required to persevere. But you also need to understand this, that the ability to do so is not in us. The ability is the power of Christ that's in us. And so we keep living for Christ. We keep observing the commandments. And the fact that we do, that is the proof that we are genuinely saved people. Our our works that we do, this this continuance in God's God's commandments, that, that says you are genuinely saved. Now, that means also that the converse is true, just as John said in verse John 2, 19, that those who do not persevere were never Christians in the first place. And so I can tell you why perseverance is such a difficult doctrine for many of these ministries. It's because they have many converts that have never really shown evidence of salvation. And so they're not real converts. So that's a great doctrine that's taught by this passage. I don't know how you could even uh, take perseverance out of this because that is the meaning of patience. It's probably one of the best scriptures that we have in all the Bible to go to that teaches this. This is a great doctrine. And here it's taught because of the peculiar nature of these trials that these believers endure. They make it through these trials. And they, the reason that they do is because Christ has given them the ability to do. But again, if they make it through, that is great assurance for every one of us here tonight that we can also endure in the faith. Now then, let's look at another doctrine that's found here. If you'll go to verse number 13 once again. It says, And I heard a voice from heaven saying unto me, Write, Blessed are the dead which die in the Lord from henceforth. Yea, saith the Spirit, that they may rest from their labors, and their works do follow them. Now here we find the doctrine of salvation by faith and not by works. And so where do you see that? How, how do you see this in the passage? Well, it's in the last part. And their works do follow them. Now, here then is our second point. Faith 
never follows. That's the consistent teaching of Scripture. It's always salvation by faith without the works of the law. Now, of course, we know commandments are to be kept. We've already established that. But the keeping of commandments is not what brings us salvation. Now, take your Bibles, if you would, and let's turn over uh, to Galatians chapter 5. Uh, Galatians was, was specifically written to refute anyone who would say that you can be justified by the keeping of commandments. And what you really need to do is you need to read the whole book of Galatians to get a grip on this. But make sure you make the connection in chapter 5, and then you ought to mark this passage in your Bible. Some of you that are still using electronic devices after this morning's uh, discussion, you may want to write this on your screen or however you're going to do that. But Galatians 5, verse number 1, if you look at it here, it says, Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty wherewith Christ hath made us free, and be not entangled again with the yoke of bondage. Behold, I, Paul, say unto you that if you be circumcised, Christ shall profit you nothing. For I testify again to every man that is circumcised that he is a debtor to do the whole law. Christ has become of no effect unto you. Whosoever of you are justified by the law, ye are fallen from grace. Now that's a tough sentence right there. What does that mean? Well, it means if you think that you've been justified by the law, then you have fallen from the principles of grace. Verse number 5, For we through the Spirit wait for the hope of righteousness by faith. So the works of the law, according to the Apostle Paul, have never justified anyone. And here, Paul makes an Old Testament connection to that truth, and he he does it both here and in the book of Romans. Now, turn over to chapter 3 in Galatians, and we're going to pick out just a few verses here. Now, remember, though, later you need to read all of this together so you don't say, well, Pastor Smith has lifted something out of the context and to try to prove a point. So you just go home and you read all of this in the context. That's what I want you to do. But if you look at Galatians 3, verses 6 and 7, it says, Even as Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him for righteousness... Know ye therefore that they which are of faith, the same are the children of Abraham. Then verse 11, But that no man is justified by the law in the sight of God is evident. The just shall live by faith. Verse number 21, Is the law then against the promises of God? God forbid. For if there had been a law given which could have given life, verily righteousness should have been by the law. But the Scripture hath concluded all under sin, that the promise by faith of Jesus Christ might be given to them that believe. But before faith came, we were kept under the law, shut up under the faith which should afterwards be revealed. Wherefore, the law was our schoolmaster to bring us unto Christ, that we might be justified by faith. But after that faith has come, we are no longer under a schoolmaster, for ye are all the children of God by faith in Christ Jesus." Now there, we have established the doctrine of justification by faith. And I might add also that it is by faith alone. Now that, in fact, friends, is the most important doctrine that's in Scripture. And unless you have that doctrine down, if you have all, uh, you have all the implications of that doctrine, everything that surrounds it and flows out of that, if you don't understand that, you simply cannot be saved. But we notice something even more here in this last statement of Revelation 14, 13. The faith is evidenced in verse number 12. And then the last part of verse number 13 says, their works follow. And so then, as surely as you have been justified by faith, there are also works that follow. And if there are no works that follow, then there is no proof of justification. 
Now that just points out once again the requirement of perseverance. Now the Apostle James accentuates this doctrine of both Paul and John because he says in James chapter 2 verse 14, What doth it profit, my brethren, though a man say he hath faith and have not works? Can faith save him? Or literally, can that kind of faith save him? And then in verse 19, Thou believest that there is one God, thou doest well. The devils also believe and tremble. But wilt thou know, O vain man, that faith without works is dead. And James is simply saying there that if your faith does not produce good works, in other words, if works do not follow your faith, then you don't have real faith. When Jesus says that those that endure to the end will be saved, he's talking about people who have real faith. A real faith that has produced something. It's produced the endurance, the perseverance in faith. Now, if you take perseverance out of the Bible, you're going to destroy the doctrine of justification along with it. Faith never follows, but good works always do follow faith. Now, Paul states that works are one of the purposes of our salvation. In Ephesians 2, 8 through 10, he says, For by grace are ye saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. Not of works, lest any man should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. Now, I think a lot of Christians have missed this. They're always talking, and it's true, we, we're saved by grace. There's no doubt about that. But then the works that follow are often left off. And people don't talk about the works anymore. So I'm just a Christian. I'm happy in being a Christian. I can do my own thing now. I'm saved. And you never worry about, are there any works that follow? And friend, I'm trying to, to tell you right now, if there are no works that follow your faith, then you're not a Christian. The faith that God gives is a faith that produces something. It always produces works. Now, the works are not what saved us. But when we're saved by grace through faith, we are a new creation in Christ. We have been created for this very purpose that we would do good works. God has ordained that we would walk in good works. Now, Right there, you can throw out all the easy believism that people are preaching today because you have here a mallet to crush anyone who says that you can take Christ as your Savior and not receive him as your Lord. The concept that we find here, that if Christ is your Savior, then you obey him. You keep his commandments. Now, isn't that what verse number 12 in Revelation said? Here is the patience of the saints. Here are they that keep the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus. Now, I hope you get this because we're, we're just going round and round and round. And where do we always end up? We always end up right back at the commandments of God. You are justified by faith. And your perseverance will include that you will continue in works of righteousness. They're not the cause of your faith. They are the result of your faith. But if they're not there, there is no faith. And it's as simple as that. You see, what faith has never done, faith has never produced a dead Christian. Faith means that you're always alive unto God. Now, what does that mean? Well, hold on to your hat just a minute here, and let's see what the perfect Word of God says about that. It always fits together like hand and glove. And so we read over in Romans chapter 6, 
Paul says, Likewise, reckon ye also yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body, that ye should obey it in the lust thereof. Neither yield ye your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin, but yield yourselves unto God as those that are alive from the dead, and your members as instruments of righteousness unto God. So I don't know how many more ways that we can say this. If you're God's child, works will follow your faith. And that means that you will persevere. Enduring, patience, perseverance, those always happen when you have works that are in evidence. Now I want to look at one more statement and then we can close out these two verses. Maybe before I do that, let me just mention when we talk about good works, I mean, things like that are taking place in our church today where uh, people will volunteer to take food to help someone. You know, that's a good work, and God's going to remember that. And that really carries into this next point. Righteousness is always remembered. That's what this scripture also teaches. Righteousness is always remembered And I heard a voice from heaven saying unto me, Write, blessed are the dead which die in the Lord from henceforth. Yea, saith the Spirit, that they may rest from their labors, and their works do follow them. They may rest from their labors. Now here we see they have died in the Lord. They're no longer on the earth. They're at rest. Hebrews says, There remaineth therefore a rest to the people of God. For he that has entered into his rest, he also has ceased from his own works as God did from his. Now there the writer is, is comparing God's rest from creation. Uh, God, God resting from the work of creating this world to the rest that God's people will receive when they reach heaven. Now actually the word rest in that passage refers to the Sabbath. And the Sabbath was about rest from works. Now, let's don't confuse something here. Rest, when we talk about heaven, rest does not mean inactivity. There's going to be a lot of activity going on in heaven. You know, people have the picture, the common idea that people has. We're going to be laying around on clouds and and playing harps, and the angels are going to be fanning us and feeding grapes to us, and heaven's just going to be a wonderful place. That's not what the Bible means when it says that we're going to be at rest. There's a lot of activity in heaven. But we're going to rest from all of our toils, from all of our labors. The difficulty that we have in living for Christ, the persecution and the trials and all that goes on with this life, that's all taken away from us. It's no longer a struggle to live for Christ. Righteousness has no opposition when we get to heaven. And so no, we're, we're no longer tempted by sin. It won't be a struggle for us any longer. We're not going to be weary. Let me give you an example. You know, in, in doing works for God, things like preaching. I love to preach, but preparing sermons is work. It gets tiresome. I mean, I, I get muddled sometimes by reading so much and by studying so much. And that weariness is a byproduct of the sinful body that we inhabit. But when we get to heaven, we don't have the sinful body anymore. So that means we'll never get tired. That's what it means to rest from our labors. But look what else it says. It says, their works do follow them. And this is teaching us that there's not one work that you do for God that's ever going to be forgotten. Your works in this life are going to follow you right into heaven. And the word of God teaches you are going to receive a reward. Now, others may not even see the work that you do. But we don't have to be seen of men, do we? We don't want to be like the Pharisees. We don't want to serve God so that somebody can look at us and applaud us and pat us on the back. 
We don't want to be the Pharisee who thinks we've done a great thing because we washed our hands before we ate. And we don't want to be like them that when we fast, we want to put ashes all over our face so that we appear to everyone that we've done some great work for Jesus. It doesn't matter if anybody else sees us. Because the one that it really counts for is the one who does see. And he sees everything that we do. He never forgets a work that you do. Jesus said, if you remember, that even a cup of cold water given in the name of disciple will not lose its reward. So all of you people that were willing to help out with food and help out around the church when I'm gone, or all the works that you do in serving the Lord in this place, those are things that will never be forgotten. There's going to be an eternal reward in heaven for it. And so all the works that these people have done, all the patience, all the endurance, all the perseverance that was required, everything that was so hard for them to live in such a terrible place during that tribulation time, all of that is going to receive a reward from God. Now our salvation is simply a wonderful thing. We are blessed when we die in the Lord. But God doesn't stop there. I mean, he keeps on giving. He doubles, he triples, he quadruples, he adds blessings, ad infinitum. By remembering our works and giving us an eternal reward. Blessed are the dead that die in the Lord. Righteousness is always remembered. Now here then we have one of the great texts in the Bible with hope. You don't want to miss this when you get into the book of Revelation. And you know why? Because you're reading all around it all these terrible things that are happen, happening. You, you look at uh, all the calamities that are coming upon the earth. You look at the power of Satan and all that he's doing. You've got the Antichrist who's bearing down on these people. You've got people being put to death by the sword, by every way imaginable. People burned up. There's no telling how many ways that people are going to be put to death. How difficult that it is. And so you don't want to miss this when you're reading Revelation. Because here we find hope. And death can be frightening at times. The things that they're going through were frightening. But the troubles would be over. And then we die. But there's no worries, mate. Because when we die, blessed are the dead that die in the Lord. Now some, of course, we know, most we know, die with no hope. Some die without being blessed. In fact, if we are to believe our eyes and our ears, we would say that by far the vast majority of the world dies in that way. Most people have never met Christ, so there's no blessing in their death. They die and they've never had a single sin forgiven. Most die in fear, dreading the day that they're going to die. And most are plunged into the fires of an eternal hell where the Bible says their smoke ascends, the smoke of their torment ascends up forever and forever. But... The scripture says here that some die in the Lord. Some are redeemed. Some do persevere to the end. And so there are some who will rest from their labors and their works do follow them. There are some people who fall asleep in Jesus and then they wake up in the presence of Almighty God. Margaret McKay uh, wrote a beautiful hymn in 1832. Maybe some of you know this hymn. It's called Asleep in Jesus. And I want to close out the message tonight with the words of her hymn. She wrote, Asleep in Jesus, blessed sleep, from which none ever wakes to weep, a calm and undeserved, undisturbed repose, unbroken by the last of foes. Asleep in Jesus, oh, how sweet to be for such a slumber meet, with holy confidence to sing that death has lost its venom sting. Asleep in Jesus, peaceful rest, whose waking is supremely blessed, 
No fear, no woe shall dim that hour that manifests the Savior's power. Asleep in Jesus, oh, for me, may such a blessed refuge be. Securely shall my ashes lie and wait the summons from on high. Asleep in Jesus, time nor space debars this precious hiding place. On Indian plains or Lapland snows, believers find the same repose. Asleep in Jesus, far from thee, thy kindred and their graves may be, but there is still a blessed sleep from which none ever wakes to weep. Revelation fourteen thirteen says, And I heard a voice from heaven saying unto me, Right, blessed are the dead which die in the Lord from henceforth. Yea, saith the Spirit, that they may rest from their labors, and their works do follow them. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the time we've had to spend in your word tonight. We thank you, Lord, for these precious truths that you've given us here. We need not fear death. If we know you as our Lord and our Savior, there's coming a a blessed time of death. And we'll wake up into the presence of our Lord and King. Lord, I do pray that every person in this room tonight would know that blessed peace, that they are prepared for their deaths when it comes, that they do know you as Savior. And if there's someone here tonight who doesn't have that assurance, I just pray, Lord, you'd speak to their heart even at this moment. Cause them to turn to you in faith, repent and believe in you to save them from all of their sins. Lord, we thank you also that when we put our faith in you, that you have promised that all the works that we do in this life, you are going to remember each and every one of them. There will be a great reward for those who faithfully serve you. We thank you for that blessed privilege. So bless as we sing tonight, Lord, bless our fellowship that follows. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.